0: Hello, my wetted weasels, and welcome to another episode, episode four of the Pseudo Intellect Podcast. Now, again, I'm coming at you with the, oh, I'm busy bullshit. Uh, Perhaps you could argue it's lack of prioritizing on my part. I know there's been a delay in in getting this out to you. It's not that I haven't been doing anything for the podcast. I've been liaising with some people and thinking of content uh, episodes and this particular episode required rescheduling with my guest. But anyway, we're here. And thank you so much for having enough intrigue to tune in. I'm using these terrible mics again. Uh, hopefully you can hear me. Testing, testing. Pen pineapple, apple pen. Dun, 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 Got some nice bilabial closes in there. Pa, 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 pa. Okay, so... Today we're going to talk about circadian rhythm and this is something everyone has but not everyone knows that they have and most of us are fucking it up for ourselves. So I thought I should tell you about it not only because it's a fascinating topic but there are easy changes you can make in order to benefit how you live your life and how you feel within your life. So to help me educate you about this, I'm speaking with Rekha Begum. She's an NHS specialist dietitian. I work with her on the ward and she's a delightful human. She has as much curiosity into random crap as I do. And we always chat about our specialist topic, which is anything, anything at all. It's lovely to work with her. And I think we're kindred spirits. We explore each other's thoughts. We share ideas and knowledge on the daily and I really enjoyed this conversation with her on circadian rhythm and I'm, I'm so glad she spent some time with me to do it. She's very well informed and she's also super smart so I'm going to quit stalling and let us begin.
1: Hi Recca. hello Caroline.
0: <laughs> Thank you so much for spending your valuable time and agreeing to do this podcast with me at 20 past 5 on a Tuesday evening.
1: That's okay, I wouldn't be doing anything any more interesting, so (laughs) thank you for having me. Thank you for asking me, I feel honoured. Of course, you're like one of my cheerleaders, (laughs) and
0: we always have the DMCs on the (laughs) ward. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I rate you, that's why I wanted you on here, so thank you so much. So, we're going to talk about circadian rhythm. I found out about this about 18 months ago, two years ago. And it's one of the most interesting topics I think I've come across, but also something I think everyone needs to know. And it's so applicable to everyone. Mm-hmm. Like there's no getting away from it. And I just think it's life changing if you actually adhere to it, which
1: I really need to do mm. myself. Yeah, I mean, I came across it because you mentioned it to me. Yeah, actually. I remember we want on the ward. Yeah, yeah. And you said, do you know about circadian rhythm? Okay what? Mm. Um, and that was actually the first time really that it sort of come to my knowledge mm-hmm. um, or conscious knowledge, I should say. But yeah, it, like you said, it's such a massive topic. You could it's research chance, for yeah. your whole life mm. and still be learning uh, and, and picking new things up because it is such a varied topic and it affects every aspect of your health, of yeah. your life. So yeah, I'm... Happy to be discussing this with you. I'm not sure how sort of schooled up I am on it, but um we no. can just have a have a chat about it. You're definitely the right person
0: because, as a dietitian, you have a lot of knowledge that underpins this, so even though it's not like your specialism, you still have a lot of knowledge that links to this and is relevant, so mm. you are Michelle, the right person <laughs> so. I've kind of mentioned a little bit in the intro, but if we just start off about what is circadian rhythm, and then we can just go from there.
1: Okay. So my understanding of what circadian rhythm is, every organ in our body has a clock. Our body. Is basically one big clock. So yeah. we have a master clock, which is influenced by light mm-hmm. um, and blue light specifically. Um, and that affects our sleep wake cycle. I'm, I'm sure we'll go into a bit more detail about that. Yeah. But it's basically an internal physiological clock, mm-hmm. um, which is sort of encoded into our DNA and it turns on and off thousands of sort of genes, hormones when they work, when they turn off uh, mm. to regulate our body. Um, so in terms of our gut function, our liver function, our waking, sleeping, when we're eating, when we're doing exercise, or when it's optimal to do those things, um, that's what it determines. Mm. So these all work together to maintain a healthy person, a healthy body, healthy mind. Yeah. Um, and that's essentially what this is. Yeah. Um, so it just keeps you functioning, keeps mm-hmm. you alive, or tries to keep you healthy. And yes, the, the research into this is to sort of determine how we can optimize these clocks to give us the best health possible for us in relation to who we are and our genetic makeup. Yeah,
0: I suppose as well, it didn't previously, let's say 10,000 years ago, or whatever, it didn't need to be a conscious thing. Like we didn't have to make the choices about it because uh, the reason it developed was because evolutionary wise, mm. we used to go to bed when the sunset, set. I think everyone can relate to the fact that it's so much harder to get up in the morning now because it's dark and it's not your imagination. Mm. It's a physiological response by your body Mm. that your melatonin decreases as the sun hits your eyes, which um, goes down your optic nerve to your SCN. So that's in the hypothalamus and it's called, it's a long ass word, your suprachiasmatic nucleus there you go everyone Let's <laughs> um, say it again <laughs> suprachiasmatic nucleus because <laughs> um, the thing is if one thing's for sure mm. the sun will rise every day and it will set every day it doesn't need to be sunny outside that's not what we're talking about if it's daylight then the sun is there mm. and our melatonin will decrease mm. in the morning and then there are other changes so mm. i know that our um, heart rate and body temperature rise, like there's a drop in, actually I think there's a rise in cortisol,
1: isn't Yes, that? you get a rise in cortisol, yes. drop in melatonin. Drop in melatonin. Uh, uh, cortisol is one of the sort of fight or flight hormones. Yeah. Gets you up. Yeah. Gets you going for the day. Mm. Um, and so that's essentially what sort of um, gets you sort of... Gets you ready. Alive. Yes. To uh, go on a hunt. Sun. Yes, exactly. Some so, gather So back in the day when mm. when we were cavemen, Yes, like you said, we worked around day and night. Um, So in terms of our lifestyle, Mm. it was very, very different. You had to hunt for your food. Um, So you had to get out there. Food wasn't so readily available. Mm -hmm. You had to work for your food. Whereas right now, we can go to the supermarket and we have access to food literally Mm -hmm. 24-7. And that, again, will affect our circadian clock. And it seems like a great thing, but it's actually to our detriment, really,
0: mm. because we're greedy. Mm. And 10,000 years ago, if you came across something that was sweet, like berries, you would gorge on it mm. because you don't know when it's you're going mm. to come across that again. But you were always on the move. Mm. And then you may not come across those berries for another couple of weeks or, or a week or so. So, the abundance of food wasn't there so
1: your body adapts so like you said if you're gorging on that food your Mm. body will utilize that readily Mm -hmm. available glucose and store some as fat and then when you when you are in a in a phase where you're not getting that food you don't have access Mm -hmm. to that food then your body uses that fat to keep you going whereas now it's all there. we okay. don't have that. that, that function is sort of null and void in, in, in modern day life. Mm. And that can lead to sort of a lot of diseases that we're seeing. Yeah, very, that's very prevalent in this day and age, things like type two diabetes, mm-hmm. obesity, cardiovascular mm-hmm. diseases. And the other thing is also our interaction to light mm. back then was natural because the only source of light was the sun. Mm-hmm. Um, and sun is the biggest source of blue light, natural yeah. light is the biggest source of blue light. And we know that blue light is what uh, regulates our master clock, the mm-hmm. master circadian clock that regulates all the other little clocks that, fun- that help to make your other organs function. Yeah. So you'd get that stimulation as the sun came up, yeah. and you'd be out in the day, you'd get access to that sunlight, and then as the sun goes down, then um, your melatonin levels rise yeah. naturally, and then that would sort of initiate that process of you going to sleep. And having that rest and repair period. Mm-hmm. In this modern day and age, we are, we, you know, most people work. They're mm-hmm. in an office. They're not exposed to natural light, mm-hmm. um, so we don't get that uh, regulation of our master clock mm. anymore. Uh, a lot of people don't. So, even though we're in a light, you know, in a lit room right now, mm-hmm. this light isn't what provides us with that blue light to help mm-hmm. regulate master clock. I'm sure you've heard of sad seasonal affective disorder, and people—that's a real thing. People used to sort of dismiss it and think, "Well, that's whatever. You just want to be on on a beach in the in the sun somewhere." But actually, uh, it's been proven that people do suffer from this, especially in the winter months where our daylight hours are very restricted. We go to work, it's dark. When we leave work, it's Mm -hmm. dark. We are not exposed to natural light um, in in the winter months. So that can really impact uh, our moods. It can increase our levels of low mood, depression, Mm -hmm. uh, make us more susceptible to those things. And then that, coupled with a sedentary lifestyle, if you're in an office, you're at the desk, you're on the computer, you're not moving out or moving around a lot, Mm -hmm. maybe making poor food choices, all of those things are going to sort of cascade and have this negative impact on your health. And if that keeps going on for a longer period of time, Mm -hmm. then you're going to see those diseases pop up in your physical health the evidence for that
0: as well is that the diseases that are so chronic now and prevalent like type 2 diabetes mm. cardiovascular disease uh, fatty liver disease etc they just weren't as prevalent as they used to be mm. and most they're pretty much all preventable and mm. um, so yeah we had different problems back then I'm sure you know malnutrition it was I'm not saying we want to go back to those times but it kind of shows that people are their own worst enemy because we know eating too much is bad for us, Mm. yet we do it. So just being conscious about it kind of
1: doesn't always cut it, but it's true. Um, But it is a combination of things. It's not just diet or just stress or just... uh, Yeah, there's a synergy, isn't there? Yes, exactly. And it's multifactorial Mm. and all of these things work together. That's why we said at the beginning, it's just mind boggling how many Mm. different factors there are and how they all interlink with each other. Yeah, because like you touched upon before, let's say, for example, you um,
0: get less than eight hours, let's say. We have to confess, <laughs> Recca and I. <laughs> we are insomniacs (laughs) and we always come in and we're like
1: how many hours sleep did you get 30 seconds (laughs) how are you feeling today (laughs) (laughs) is our response to each other most days
0: and the thing is we know about this more than the average person and i always vow to go to bed earlier and I've just got some bad habits and an overactive brain. But anyway, mm. moving on, I do notice that now, because I know more about this, I really see it manifest in me. So mm. I've eaten myself into oblivion today, made some really poor diet choices, even though I do meal prep and stuff. Um, and I've got all my nice healthy lunches there and I eat them. But I also eat like nine biscuits on top of that, plus other things. Because I'm making poor food choices because I'm tired. So mm. my body is in a stress response right now because I've had lack of sleep. So my body, it's not my conscious brain, my body thinks that if you're in a stress response, there's a threat. Mm. Now, uh, 100,000 years ago, that would have been um, a saber-toothed tiger. It's not that now. Um, so my body's in a chronic state of stress. Therefore, it wants me to get energy and store it for when it needs to fight or run. So that's why I'm gorging. But that's not the case. So what am I going to do? I'm going to store it as fat. And, mm. and that's no use to me because I don't need no fat. So and then those poor choices just perpetuate. So then you feel bad about yourself and that makes you more stressed. Mm. And then also, if you keep eating late at night, you get into that poor habit. And so stress as well can inhibit sleep because you're worrying about things. And I also find that if I'm at work, it's, we work in a ward. It's a stressful environment. Mm. I'm less resilient. Like, if things go wrong during the day and I've had poor sleep, my patience is, is shorter. I'm just, I have less of a buffer for things going wrong. Mm. So I cry more easily, basically, because <laughs> <laughs> that's my, how I release really stress. <laughs> yeah, just. that's my response. I wish it wasn't, but right. it is. And I just find if I've had a good night's sleep, I don't Those really cry. don't get to you as they much don't. as... As if you're lacking sleep. I have so much more of a buffer and tolerance for the stressors in a day, honestly. And I so as well, my chin's fallen off right now because I... <laughs> so <Sorry>, what? <laughs> She's looking at me concerned. <laughs> I get dermatitis. I know dermatitis is an umbrella term. I, mm-hmm. I just have it managed by the GP. They don't know, like what they're doing either they won't refer me to dermatology anyway i get dermatitis generally around my chin and my mouth and on my neck Mm. and it's just always there it never really quite goes if i have poor sleep as like especially a few nights in a row it really flares up okay so you think how does your sleep affect your skin it does for sure Mm. um
1: Yeah, it's that rest and repair uh, process that happens in our sleep.
0: Exactly. Your skin has a circadian rhythm Mm. and it does reparations during the night. Mm. And yeah, I just find that my dermatitis goes bonkers when Mm. I'm like really sleep deprived. I just feel like a a new woman if I get like
1: more than six, seven hours. Oh, yeah. They say recommended is is eight. It's eight. I know. Um, But again, is that the case for everyone? Exactly. It's... Everyone has These things are so tailored to yeah. every individual. So the kind of nutrition that you need can be tailored to you as a person or how you're made up genetically. Mm-hmm. The amount of sleep that you need, again, the same. Mm-hmm. The amount of exercise or how your body metabolizes certain nutrients that you put into your body. You know, one person might eat one diet and another person might eat completely the same diet but have um, different um, body composition yeah. to it. Mm. Um, again, how, what factor is that? Is it genetics? Exactly. Is your genetics affecting your diet? Is your diet affecting, affecting your, your genetics? genetics? And yeah. we learned this, um, we, it was only like one or two lectures at university, but it was the study of nutrigenomics, nutrigenetics. And yes. people use those interchange- interchangeably, Interchangeably. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Yeah. And it is just basically a study of how your a person's individual genetic makeup mm. contributes to the differences in response to a diet on, and how that interaction occurs uh, you know physically how, mm. how how is that presented physically in a person uh, so again this is a, a whole um sort of new Especially, yes yeah. exactly and it's, it's very new uh, i don't think you know you say nutrigenomics to, to people and they're like what yeah you know, I've it's, never it's heard very it. new uh, but it's new but it's not new you know i i came across it when i was at university mm. and that was 10 years ago. Um, so, you know, it's not new anymore. I'm sure my knowledge is very outdated on it. But it's, it's an up-and-coming field where they're looking at tailor-made nutrition, mm. uh, personalized nutrition. And so it's a study of someone's genetics mm-hmm. and looking at the genetics and saying, okay, you respond better with a low-fat low diet or a low-carb diet or a high-fat diet or a high-protein mm. diet and tailoring um, someone's diet very specifically on that level – um, to give them that optimal diet to achieve their goals, whether that's fat loss or muscle um, maintenance or growth or whatever it is that they
0: want to so achieve. Do they decode someone's gene? Because I, I know they achieved that like decades ago. I think... So And they didn't really know how to use that at first. Mm. But I know that they're even thinking about using like, the decoding of people's genes in um, how to treat them medically and stuff. I know that, that it's not something that currently happens now, but may well happen in, in the future.
1: There's certain signals on people's genes. And then I'm not sure if it's chromosomes or it's certain, uh, what do you call the each? each individual part on a chromosome um, that sort of affects gene expression. Mm. uh, And they can tag those and see what sort of is more prevalent in someone in terms of what's more likely to be expressed Mm. and then tailor the diet to give it that best chance to be expressed or Mm. not expressed. That's the future of personal training. and Yeah, personalized nutrition, nutrition. personalized medication. But again, we should be careful in not control over our own health mm. over to um saying well it's just my genes or well it's you know my circadian clock or whatever it, it, you sort of end up taking that control out of people's hands you still have a choice in in what you eat you still have a choice when you go to sleep you have mm-hmm. a choice in if you do physical activity and when you do it what kind of physical activity you do mm. um and the environment that you're in and You know, what kind of food you have access to. We know that people of a lower socioeconomic background tend to have worse health outcomes, and their access to healthy food is limited um, because of the area that they live in, Mm -hmm. budget, money. Mm -hmm. So, all of these things affect Mm -hmm. someone's overall health. And so, it's not, we shouldn't talk about it in a this is the reason, it's all of these reasons that can affect a person's health. Mm Yeah.
0: People are lazy with their decision-making as well. So if like a fast food place is is near where they live, that's likely where they're going to eat. They're actually proposing that in order to really get on top of the obesity crisis or these preventative kind of diseases to, it sounds radical, but actually why is it if you're going to be able to manage such diseases, which are crippling our health service, Mm. is essentially redesigning towns and cities Mm so that these fast food places are not available i mean they make money it's it's never going to (laughs) happen i mean that's a really wanted to achieve it like if the government wanted to make a concerted effort like you go with what's available you go with the easy choice particularly because When you're tired, your decision making is poor, Mm. um, and you make quick decisions. So you, I referred to this in another episode, like System One and System Two. So Mm. your System One is your automatic; it's very useful, makes allows you to make quick decisions, but it's kind of more automatic and less deliberate and less logical. Mm. Whereas if you were making a logical choice about food, you would go with the healthy choice, Mm. not based on your instinct um, Mm. and how you feel. But yeah, it's never going to happen. But if Powers that be really
1: wanted it to. I mean, that's a, another rabbit hole we could go down. But oh, I mean, I know. you know, fast food joints, you mm. know, I'm not sure if we're allowed to mention any specifically. Yeah, no, um, we can <laughs> okay. But, but they, these are massive corporations mm. and yeah. they have and money, they have power, they, power. Have, they lobby in government, in yep. parliament, um, and, and have politicians happen. behind them. Mm-hmm. So actually, yes, if you look at it from a, oh, this would benefit the public, mm. yes, it would, and the logical... Reasoning would be, yes, let's do what's going to benefit the health of the population. Mm. But that's not the motivating factor for a lot of the decisions that are made in government. You know, it is money. Money Mm. is power, unfortunately. And it is going to be a constant battle of what are we doing to our
0: public health and,
1: you know, the population. Mm. You know, we are the little people we're not a massive corporation you know even the NHS is it runs with debt it's it's constantly in debt mm-hmm. um so how much power we have over to in terms of implementing those mm-hmm. rules I guess or, or those policies and, and sort of encouraging positive changes in, in out in the community mm. it's difficult and that's there are little initiatives out in the community that do those things, but not on a mass scale. Not, not, I don't think there is anything that's on such a massive scale that has tackled the the issue of obesity mm. or tackled things like type two diabetes. These things are on the rise. You know, yeah. they're so prevalent and they're rising constantly, um, and it is a massive problem. And like you said, we do need to look at on a massive scale in yeah. terms we of we need
0: something radical to actually address it because yeah. people know that lots of sugar is bad, and mm. yet they still make those choices. Yeah, It's not always a conscious thing. Mm. I remember reading something years ago, and you'll probably know more about what is optimal every day, but the GDAs that are on food packets, the, the guided daily allowances for, mm. let's say, salt, sugar, fat, etc. I was reading something and it was about sugar. And so let's say, oh, the recommended Amount of fruit and veg in the UK is five, mm. yet in France it's eight, and yet in another country it's ten. Now, mm. which one is right? They chose five because they thought that was attainable for mm. people here, not based on actual what people need, which is more than five. Yeah. And the amount of sugar that they put on the GDA, uh, I don't know, but arguably it might actually need to be less. It's just yeah. the government have kind of randomly advised this amount. Mm. And I remember a couple of the scientists that were on that board, one of their research projects was funded by a cocoa company and another one by a sugar company. So Mm. there's clearly a conflict of interest there. They're advising the government. Mm.
1: So again, it goes back to who has the money, has Mm -hmm. the power, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, there are sort of other vested interests when Mm. they fund these research projects. Yeah um yeah i mean like you said it could be that it's a way to you know they've put it as five because actually people struggle to get even that uh mm. into their daily i know i do as a dietitian. i probably shouldn't be admitting that but <laughs> i do and um when i consciously think about it i can do it and it is actually easy when you're going about your daily life and just mm. sort of running around and doing things and you come to the end of the day and think oh crap i didn't i, I i've had an apple for the whole day and that's Mm. literally it um but it could be that if you set the bar low and people will achieve that then it sort of motivates them to feel like they've achieved something or done something so maybe it's that factor but or i could argue that then their norms are lower Mm. so then they they think
0: oh well i'm only I'm only, I had three today, I'm only two off, whereas Mm -hmm. actually they should be having eight. Yeah, so you're kind of, you're five off instead. You're five off, but they don't realize they're five off. So Mm -hmm. it's it's a really difficult one, but -hmm. yeah. So in terms of our circadian rhythm, we Mm -hmm. kind of spoke about kind of what happens in the morning. And then we have our lunch. Mm -hmm. And then I think everyone can relate to that afternoon slump. Mm-hmm. When you're about eight years old in your last lesson at school, you're really giddy because mm-hmm. you're super tired. Mm-hmm. Or when you're at work, you're finding it really hard to focus. Yeah. I actually, I'd mentioned Blue Zones in one of my.
1: I haven't listened to that episode yet. Haven't you? No. <laughs> <laughs> Don't I hate my me. number one cheerleader. I, <laughs> <laughs> I listened to your first one and I listened to most of your third one. I just haven't. Do you know what it is though? <laughs> I need. If I'm going to listen to your podcast, I want to give you 100% okay. of my attention. <laughs> okay. So, on the bus and it's, I can't focus on the bus. <laughs> There's people sat next to me and somebody smells. I'm probably hating <laughs> on someone. I can't focus on the bus. So it's usually when I'm, you know, I listen to it when I know that I haven't got any other like, distractions or anything. So I've heard snippets of it with yeah. your brother. Yeah. And I've heard mm-hmm. you talk about Blue Zones and I've heard you talk about um, sort of sustainability and, mm. and things like that. So I've heard little bits of it, but I want to like fully give it my attention. So that's why I haven't listened to it. <laughs> uh, okay. But your your third one was really good, actually. And I was going to speak to you about it. Thank um, you. But I haven't completely finished it because, okay. you know, focus.
0: <laughs> I lack it because <laughs> you lack sleep <laughs> yes exactly why <laughs> we're both like
1: giddy as fuck here because
0: we've had like less than six hours each but yeah blue zones in every single blue zone there are five of them mm. napping occurs as a culturally in all five mm. and it occurs in the afternoon so the mm. spanish have got it right mm. they have and a siesta. exactly they have a siesta because and they have it that time mm. because they have this this natural lull and they've done surveys and Apart from like 2 a.m. to 3 a.m., the biggest, what was ranked as like the biggest, uh, see, I have word finding difficulties when I'm tired as well. And I'm a speech and language therapist, (laughs) honestly, it's terrible. So when people feel the biggest sensation to sleep is actually this time in the day Mm. as well. Um, So yeah, and then they have a quick nap and then you have a period of alertness Mm. following this, don't you? So this is all part of your natural circadian rhythm where hormones are doing their thing you'll mm. know more about that than I. Um, you keep saying that but i'm not sure i do <laughs> caroline <laughs> actually this is one so i want to talk about time restricted feeding because <clears throat> people may have heard of this and this is definitely something that everyone can apply to their life because weight loss eating healthily I mean, it's everywhere on social media. Everyone's always trying to lose weight, yada, yada. But actually, if they adopt this, losing weight and being healthy um, may be easier for people. Adopting time-restricted feeding. So do you want to, I'll let you introduce it and you tell me um, a little bit about it. And then we can talk about Sachin Panda and his research. And...
1: So essentially, time-restricted feeding is when a person has most of their food and drink calorie drinks mm-hmm. and snacks in a specific window of mm-hmm. time um, during a uh, part of the day. And that's the only time they'll consume those calories. Mm-hmm. Um, that's essentially what it is. Yeah. Um, so they have a period of, of when they're eating and they have a period of what they call that this can have positive impact on uh, your ability to lose weight, on mm-hmm. your body composition, so sort of reducing fat mass, increasing mm-hmm. muscle mass. Affecting your sleep, uh, mm-hmm. improved levels of sleep, improved quality of sleep. Yeah. So yes, there's a ton of research out there to uh, point to this. Mm. It sort of ties in with intermittent fasting. Yeah. Uh, and I know that's a trend at the moment. Mm. Uh, it has been for a while, um, mm. and certain people or people who do it have reported to feel better on mm. this. They feel more alert because it helps to sort of it ties in with their circadian rhythm. So they get yeah. they are in this sort of rhythmic 24 hour clock mm-hmm. that works for them. Yeah. Um, so that's essentially what it is. Yeah, because I know that. Um, so
0: Sachin Panda, he's a professor and mm-hmm. his area of specialism is circadian rhythm. And mm-hmm. he works at the Salk Institute in California. He's done a few TED Talks, worth looking them up if you want a bit more of a concise, informed uh, <laughs> amount of information mm-hmm. um, regarding. Circadian rhythm, but honestly, this this topic is so complex. But he did some research and uh, experiments on mice. Um, do you want to talk about that?
1: Oh, uh, yeah, we can both talk about that. Um, yeah. um,
0: so I know. Um, so you can kind of chime in. So he did. He fed a group of mice the same amount of calories and exactly the same diet. Within eight hours, he also then fed another group of mice same amount of calories. Um, Same like diet composition
1: across 16 hours. Just that they had access to the food all the time, whereas the the ones on the restricted feeding group Mm -hmm. were just restricted to those eight hours. Yeah. The group of mice that had unrestricted
0: access, after approximately eight to 10 weeks, they all developed obesity, cardiovascular disease, fatty liver disease. Yet the mice who ate within eight hours. Now bear in mind, same amount of calories and same diet composition didn't. Mm. Now that's not to say, like Recca was saying earlier, that your diet composition <laughs> isn't important because it is. You can't just go and eat like loads of crap in the day within eight hours. Mm. Um, that's not going to benefit you. But it's just noteworthy that, as you see with, with
1: the mice here, it was important that the timing, the timing. Um, of where, when you yeah, eat is, you is eat. just, as important, just as, as important as your food choices mm. and what you're eating. There's lots of sort of conflicting studies out yeah. there where some people say it actually it doesn't matter when you eat; it's the number yeah. of calories that you have. So if you reduce your calories, then you're going to reduce weight. It's that sort of simple balance. And then there's more complex research out there that says mm. that actually it does matter when you eat. Yeah, um, and so that's what he was sort of trying to. I guess, identifies, yeah. does when you eat affect your body composition and, and your, you know, whether you'll gain weight, lose weight, mm-hmm. or develop other um, health problems. So they found that in the group that had food access sort of whenever they wanted, yeah. that over a period, I think it was a period of 18 weeks, mm. so that's sort of equivalent to 15 years of a human life. In mice, 18 weeks is that... Mm. Is that long because they have a shorter lifespan? The, the first group, or the group that was that had access to all the food, um, whereas the other group was a lot leaner yeah. uh, and less fat um, yeah. on their body. They had more lean mass than than fat mass, mm. uh, which was quite interesting. Even though they had the same food and the same number of calories, yeah. it's crazy. It was such a big difference between the two groups,
0: yeah. Because I know he did another study where they thought okay well what if they're already obese what if they already have diabetes and already have fatty liver disease cardiovascular disease mm. and so they already have it what if we now restrict them to eating same diet composition but within eight hours mm. and within a few weeks they lost I can't tell you the exact number of weeks sorry I didn't write that down they lost 20 percent of their weight and they were able to reverse the disease. Now, again, we're not um, proposing that you can just eat whatever you want, but you should still eat your fruits and veggies. Still make good food choices. Good food choices. A healthy balanced diet, Exactly. It's just noteworthy. It's just noteworthy to say that when you eat, apparently really, really does matter. Mm. And also these chronic diseases are kind of self-inflicted. And actually Mm. we then medicate with, tablets mm-hmm. and should we really be doing that I'm not saying again we're not proposing to stop taking your insulin etc what we're saying is there are GPs and dietitians out there who actually help people manage their disease with diet and exercise and actually manage to get people off their medication eventually but that is done by health professionals yes but we're just saying that your body can sort itself out if you make the right choices it's us that's wrecking mm-hmm ourselves, we're Mm. doing it to ourselves. There Mm. are certain things that obviously need medical intervention, no matter what, but a lot of these chronic diseases that lead on to other ones. Mm. So um, it'll lead on to high cholesterol, which increases blood pressure, which leads to stroke. Mm. Uh, Another risk factor for stroke is type type 2 diabetes. So um, it doesn't just end with these chronic issues. They just you don't accumulate the yeah, yeah.
1: Um, um, and that's what they found was that uh, in the study with the mice they found that the ones that were in a time-restricted feeding hmm. group had lower cholesterol they had better motor control hmm. uh, like i said reduced body fat uh, more endurance uh, in terms of their physical activity i think they put them on a sort of like a a mice treadmill yeah um, and um, better endurance and, and they, they they could hmm. run for longer than the ones that weren't in the time-restricted group yeah Yeah. So there are health benefits to that. As a practicing dietitian, how often we recommend sort of time-restricted feeding or intermittent fasting. In all honesty, I don't think we do. I don't think in sort of clinics and consultations that it's regularly advised or prescribed.
0: Yeah, is it? But I've heard a few interviews where there are some specialist dietitians kind of weaving it into their practice mm. more and more now mm. just because there's a growing evidence base but I suppose what you learned at uni it hadn't Is, filtered down yet and, yeah. and it and it wasn't probably the research wasn't there
1: yeah was and fun. I think it's also confidence in delivering that yeah. um, intervention because we're taught mm. calories in and calories out mm. if it's more than what's burning out then you're going to gain weight and if it's less than what you're what you're yeah. burning then you're going to mm. lose weight and I think that sort of traditional notion of very simplistic idea of mm. calorie balance is still prevalent in a lot of practice. There are people who are sort of very sort of innovative and, and yeah. forward-thinking and there are companies, biotech companies who hire dietitians um, and we, when we talked about earlier about sort of genetic profiling mm. and, and uh, finding the best diet for your genetics there are companies that do that and um, they will genetically profile you and have dietitians look at that information um, to give you a tailor-made diet mm. but I don't think it's very prevalent in the NHS not no. that I've seen and not that even I've practiced I don't do clinics anymore I used to mm. but I'm just based on the stroke board now but I don't think that I've really come across working in the NHS anyone who is doing that on a regular basis
0: the NHS is I heard this before and I agree with it it is healthcare, care but it's disease care there's not a lot of prophylactic stuff going mm. on they are moving towards that mm. but actually it might sound contentious, but we are disease care and it benefits people with chronic conditions and older people. Our healthcare system actually takes care more of young, um, older people than it does of younger people and preventing. Health issues. Mm. If you think about it, that's where the money is invested. We're firefighting; we're not preventing. And mm. the thing is, they're too scared to channel money away from that because there's such an acute need. Mm. But if we were brave and we did,
1: yeah.
0: we would certainly see benefits to health, and then we wouldn't need so much money
1: at that other end. Mm. It's a contentious topic. Everybody, there's a need everywhere. There's a need everywhere, and but, it's about where do you direct that money. But but would. The
0: need would would likely not as be as great if we were brave and invested oh, yes. it elsewhere.
1: Yeah. But no one wants to make that decision because that's how it is. Yeah, and also you would see a dying off of the older population if they, they're not in getting the that care in terms of just managing what they have mm. now, rather than mm-hmm. doing that work in the younger generation mm-hmm. to have that preventative care yeah. instead. Um, so to have that shift is quite a, a drastic and radical one actually and then but then what I would argue and I agree
0: with you I agree with you and I'm not saying because I'm glad I'm not the person making this decision but what I would argue is it's at the expense of younger people and their mm. health mm. that we do invest the money mm. in the later years because but we're more accepting of it because that's kind of how it's always been yeah do you see what I mean yeah, so yeah. I never had really thought about that until I had a discussion with someone recently about it, and um, yeah, it made me think. We most of the money is spent in the last year of someone's life as well, yeah. Um, and proportionately, it doesn't add very much onto the length of someone's yeah. life, and,
1: and, and that's because it is such acute care, acute care, and that's absolutely. when it it manifests in someone. Yeah, you can do, you can have bad habits when you're younger mm-hmm. and not have. Um, feel that impact when you're Mm. younger because you're you're more resilient, your body's able to adapt and and carry on and keep you moving Mm -hmm. um, until you get to a certain point where everything sort of breaks down and you're like oh shit, I've got (laughs) dementia oh shit, I've broken my hip again Mm. you know, and then you're pouring that money into fixing that problem but it could have been preventative yeah. previously. And that's why is that that motivation isn't there because you don't feel the pain. You don't feel mm-hmm. the consequences of those bad decisions when you're young and you mm-hmm. feel it later on. And then you're like, oh, sh- I need help. I-, I need help from the NHS. I need help when I'm in hospital or out in the community, social care. And that's a lot of money. And also, I think this is the way
0: I think about it too, is there are factors that we know can affect, but you can't categorically say, yes that caused it mm. so for example my lack of sleep and my veganism therefore lacking in b12 although mm. i do supplement so i'm trying to prevent this could lead to dementia now you can be genetically predisposed to dementia mm. but it could be either causing it to onset earlier or maybe causative lack of sleep is is certainly linked to dementia now they're just mm. they're just finding out if it's like over a long period, not if you're getting the occasional like sleepless night. And I am a chronic substandard sleeper. So it's just, I don't get enough hours. It doesn't tend to be interrupted because there's an argument that actually, if you get a solid period as opposed to, yeah, eight hours, but it's interrupted. Mm. But I do feel it because I just, I just feel it in myself when I actually get some decent sleep and Mm. feel so much better. But the thing is, Say I get dementia in the future, I can't categorically say what it is. Mm. So then when people can't like directly attribute it, they, they're not as in a panic about it. So mm. they're like, ah, oh, mañana, like happens. tomorrow, tomorrow, yeah, like yeah. we'll sort it out tomorrow. Because my B12 deficiency, okay, maybe it made me feel a bit tired, okay. but people...
1: It could be other things also. It could
0: be other things also. And it's not like something really visible and physical. And and, uh, detrimental to you right now. Exactly. Mm. So then people are just, they're not really proactive. Yeah, you just um, suck it up
1: and pick up your bag and carry on. Exactly. Yeah.
0: So, but I think if actually we could make these really strong links, people would be more gusto behind, Mm. I don't know, um, funding, funding Mm. this preventative
1: Mm. medicine. And but kind of... also that information doesn't get relayed to lay layman, no, you know, doesn't. the everyday person you, you can go out on the street mm. and say Hey, do you know about circadian rhythm? Mm. Do you yeah. know about how your genetic affects mm. your diet or your diet affects your genetics? Yeah. like, What the hell are you talking about? Exactly. And that information unless you're actively seeking it mm-hmm. You're not gonna get it. It's not something that's fed to the public. No, and
0: No, exactly. And you you have to, like you say, you have to seek it. Mm. And people tend to only care about their health when it fails. Mm. They don't really care too much about maintaining it because our lives are busy. Mm. And we would rather get that work done or go out or make sure this or that is done rather than prioritizing our sleep because that's the acute problem.
1: Yeah. like It's the saying that health is the crown that only the sick can see. Mm, once you you do fall sick Mm -hmm. then you're like oh you're looking at someone who is well or making bad decisions like oh you shouldn't be doing that you know you know but yes when you are feeling you're not feeling the consequences of those bad decisions you're less motivated to make those changes to keep you feeling well you know in your ripe old age that's a that's a good one and they say your health is your wealth Yes, they do. My <laughs> yes. health is my crown. I lost it somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, yeah,
0: it's it's true. And um, it underpins everything because when you're sick, all the other stuff doesn't really seem to matter that much, does it? Mm. Especially when you're really sick. Yeah. But it's a shame that that's when we only value it. Mm. Kind of moving back to sleep as well it's argued so I really like this GP he's he calls himself a specialist generalist and he's a specialist generalist yeah like it. <laughs> it's good he's he he really integrates like um not necessarily yeah I suppose more homeopathic stuff obviously he's a GP he was a reg in nephrology and then decided to he just felt like he could make more of a difference as a GP because mm. he's all about the preventative uh, medicine he did a show called doctor in the house he managed to get people on who had chronic conditions off medication yada yada mm. he's saying that sleep actually kind of underpins all the other pillars of health mm. and kind of we we made those links earlier so sleep's important
1: yeah i think sleep nutrition yeah physical activity yeah and those are sort of those are the pillars and stress as well yeah. and then they all link together yeah but i'm saying if you have those optimised mm-hmm. And actually, you're working sort of quite well in terms of your circadian yeah. clock, you know, even in your organ function or each individual organ clock, but also your master clock as well. Yeah. Um, and that can prevent so many diseases in terms of, uh, you know, long-term diseases, mm. things like depression, things like um, heart disease, cardiovascular disease, mm. uh, fatty liver, type 2 diabetes we mentioned, and, and, and obesity. Saying
0: depression, you just mentioned depression, nor other that. I know much about this. I'm just aware that there's a gut-brain access. Um, Gut-brain access, not access. So it's influenced by our diet. Do you know a bit about it to give an explanation? Oh, God. (laughs) Is it Again, this is another gargantuan topic in itself. We're, We're not like super, super specialists. We're just shooting the shit here. It's just to bring it to the fore in your minds because we're kind of giving you enough knowledge that can help you... Adopt some habits, mindsets and attitude in order to, uh, I want to say adopt, but I've already said the word adopt, so it doesn't sound good. You can good. use the word adopt I again. I to say the word adopt again. <laughs> so that you can... Implement. Um, implement. You Thank you. See, this is what lack of sleep does to me. I'm really articulate if I'm not sleep deprived. <laughs> um, implement into your life. So...
1: Mm. Um, so we were talking about the gut brain and, axis and what yeah. it is. it's basically the relationship of the communication mm. between your gut and your brain or your brain and your gut yeah S- um, signaling can happen through some hormones through mm-hmm. your diet through your immune response yeah and they call the gut the second brain yeah so actually you know there's evidence to say that your gut health can affect your brain or your mood or your mental health Mm. and not just the other way around yeah which is i'm i
0: mean my understanding up until a few years ago is it was always brain can affect gut Mm. but i didn't know that gut can affect brain and Mm. that's kind of a new thing that's come out isn't it which Mm. is is fascinating because um saying that your microbiome which is like the flora in your your gut which Mm. is super complex apparently Mm. that can impact how your brain functions and people with depression is it that people with depression have a different microbiome or is it that certain
1: microbiomes can exacerbate depression yeah or i think um, trigger it or... if i'm correct serotonin is produced in the gut yes so and that is your happy hormone yeah so if it. your gut is off uh, and your microbiota yeah. is, is off you know is off balance mm-hmm. um that can affect how happy you feel yeah, yeah it can affect your mood can be low in mood you can be if you're if you're lacking that or if feel your gut health is not optimal mm. um, and then looking at okay what can I do from a diet point of view to optimize my mm. gut health thus optimize my mental health mm-hmm. so you know it's sort of looking at it in reverse yeah you know the traditional um, sort of way of looking at mental health is to just treat yeah the brain, the brain. yeah but we're not always looking at what's mm-hmm. affecting the brain yeah. Yes, I mean, they, they do look at things like dopamine and, and, and sort of transmitters in the brain. Mm. But actually, this is a whole new area to, yeah. to look at. Yeah, I think traditional medicine or traditional sort of therapies in terms of managing depression is, yes, counselling or, or being on antidepressants. I think nutrition nutrition is getting the awareness it deserves. I think it's still growing I think people like to be just given something to say here take this and you'll feel better whereas diet is something you have to do and you have Mm -hmm. to do every day it's like brushing your teeth um, mm. You know, you have to upkeep that and you have to maintain it to, to reap the benefits of it throughout your life. That's the thing. People need a
0: little bit of belief in it in order to comply. Mm. Because it's because
1: it's not a quick fix, Exactly. It? It and off. so
0: people give up before they give it a chance yeah. to work and then they claim it didn't work. But mm. actually, you didn't give it the due diligence. And actually, people go in to see a doctor and they get given a pill. And whether that pill is even working or whether it's just placebo mm. and hey, if you can solve it through diet, then why would you want to be on medication that has side effects when mm. your body is essentially a pharmacy or your, your brain is a pharmacy and can release so many different chemicals to help you heal if you let it, mm. if you feed it the right stuff, if you exercise, it can just make a massive difference. Like Our, our body was designed to do this.
1: Mm. Um, I think some people just rely on that. Uh, being given the pill and saying yeah. oh the pill will fix me it's sort of taking things out of their hands so if something goes wrong then you can blame the pill or you can blame, blame the doctor yeah uh, and some people just like that they like yeah. being a patient they like being a victim to that yeah there is a poor me um, yeah. attitude i'm not
0: saying that everyone with chronic conditions has a, a poor me attitude but there are those people out yeah. there like we see patients that are what we call functional and they will come in with symptoms, stroke symptoms, so facial weakness, etc., or sometimes non specific stuff, so like tingling, and they'll be admitted to the stroke ward. Now, some people really initially do present like a stroke, but then once you start assessing them, you see the inconsistencies in their symptoms. I will see it in their talking, their speech, and the physios will see it in their walking. Now, When we say functional, we mean that there's no organic cause for those symptoms. There is no stroke on the scan. There is no other reason. They've differentially diagnosed and there's no organic cause. And particularly when you put it in conjunction with the inconsistencies of their symptoms, it's psychological. And you tend to find that these people that come in with these types of symptoms, not the first time they've been a patient, they often have Chronic issues, notably fibromyalgia, ME, uh, among other things. Now, what's interesting is that some of these people may actually have had a previous stroke before, or they do have other real diagnoses. Like, essentially, it's a, a mood thing, a psychological thing that manifests physically, um, and that's not the only thing. So, we can, I can get patients um who come in with like a dysphonia, so their voice might sound like this. There's nothing wrong with their vocal cords. It's psychological. Now, it's not as simple as that, but there's no organic cause. So these chronic conditions can have much wider impact than you think. Real chronic conditions can lead to psychological ones. So it's just notable to say. I know that there's neurogenesis when we sleep. I don't know enough to go into it. Yeah. I also don't know much about this, but again, it's just one of the nuggets that I pick up from my trawling of the internet at like 3 a.m. when I should be sleeping. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I read about (laughs) the importance of sleep at 3 a.m. And I have to be up at 6. But neurogenesis occurs when we sleep. Now, they didn't think that this occurred at all. They thought that the amount of brain cells we had was finite Mm. and that they just depleted throughout our life. And they've now come to realize that during sleep, we have neurogenesis occurring. Now that essentially is the formation of new brain cells. It's only about 700, 800 a night. And if you compare it to the billions that we have in the Mm. brain, but apparently, and they're not quite sure of the function yet, but apparently that neurogenesis supports other parts of the brain. So I'm probably not getting any, I'm just losing them. So slippery slope of
1: dementia, <laughs> Caroline. <laughs>
0: exactly. They, um, and also just that neurogenesis gives you more brain cells, which essentially gives you a bit more of a buffer. So you have more brain to burn throughout your life. So sleep is all good. And I, for one, need to, to get on top of it. It's, mm-hmm. it's like a bit of a goal of mine. We spoke about actually kind of the cycle that goes throughout a day. So, we spoke about the morning, what happens. So, we're really alert. Um, it's a good time to exercise. Is it late morning?
1: Or um, I say it's it? sort of a, a late afternoon. Late so, afternoon. around like five-ish. Okay. If you have that typical circadian rhythm of, you know, going to sleep, you know, when you're... And having a bit of a nap,
0: maybe. Yes. Yeah, so, in more.
1: terms of... So, if you're looking at when you go to sleep and you have your REM movement, waking yeah. up, all of that stuff, you have... Optimal brain function is sort mm-hmm. of in the morning, then you get optimal physical function is sort of late in the afternoon, sort mm-hmm. of between three and five. So if you're looking at exercising, that's where you get your peak muscle performance.
0: And just to chime in there, most of us are at work. So you can see how our modern lifestyle mm. is not conducive to being attuned with our circadian rhythm, which is a bit of balls, really. So what we need to do is work in like, Well, actually, it should just be everyone because they should let us take naps during work and they should let us exercise. And I know that sounds really silly and radical, but I bet you we'd all be more efficient. Like they did studies in like Sweden where the Mm. four day work week and people are much more efficient. Do you ever find that, you know, an hour can go by at work when you're like super tired and not concentrating and you've done nothing? Mm. Uh, every day. And you, if, if you feel valued... <laughs> okay. I shouldn't admit that. <laughs> Oops. I went very hard at, like, at work she is efficient she does love talking like honestly <laughs> me and Raka. oh my god put a wait. sign on my back do not talk to me I will talk to you about everything oh
1: my for god three hours
0: that is our specialist topic mine and Rekha's specialist topic with each other is anything so yeah we're fuckers for that on the ward but we have a good time Uh, but then when it's like a really busy day i'm like i can't
1: talk today okay i get it it's a black because
0: you're a black hole girl (laughs) but i think the best way to round things off would be what things can be done Mm -hmm. in order to aid adherence
1: to our circadian rhythm so or try and sort of develop and maintain an optimal Mm -hmm. clock uh, yeah. 24 hour clock so one of the major things because as i mentioned earlier beginning of our conversation is our master clock is regulated by light blue yeah. light so the most obvious thing would be to get out mm-hmm. into daylight to go for a walk and mm-hmm. um, get yourself exposed to natural blue light that will help your body to know okay it's daytime now mm-hmm. and then when you come indoors mm-hmm. your body starts to produce the melatonin to to signal, okay, it's time to or get ready for, for sleep for mm. bed. Um, so doing what, the, what we would have done, uh, you know, back in the day, mm. hunter-gatherers, trying to sort of mimic that daylight, you know, daytime exposure, mm. nighttime sleeping, um, is going to be positive and beneficial for us to, to maintain a regular rhythm.
0: Yeah, and in terms of that, I think most people know this now. Smartphones emit blue light. And there's a filter on pretty much all of them now. Mm. I think it was actually off the back of Sachin Panda's research that they discovered this and then they implemented it. Yeah, I didn't know that. So he's a big spud. So, yeah, put your blue light filters on your phone. Or you Mm. can get really jazzy glasses. Mm. Um, Yes,
1: I've seen them. Or just don't expose yourself to... To your phones, or your TVs, or your laptops. I know I'm addicted. It's like sugar. Uh, I say this. I fell asleep hugging my laptop yesterday. So,
0: (laughs) who am I to talk? At least it's getting
1: some use now. Yeah, (laughs) get some love. I was meant to uh, start my writing on it, but instead, Uh, no. (laughs) Thanks. Although I did do research on this topic on it, so it did get some use, uh, not for what it was intended for. But oh well. I know we're summarising, but um, just sort of quickly step back a little bit mm. is how day differs on the weekend mm. to the weekday uh, and it said that actually that can cause something called social jet lag because on in a weekday you're getting up so you have work you're getting up at a certain time mm-hmm. you're eating at a certain time um, because you know you're working around your work schedule you go home and you might eat at a certain time and then go back to sleep for most people at a certain time mm. on a weekend when you don't have that social obligation or that work obligation, mm. we tend to, uh, that pattern tends to sort of go off. So we might eat a little bit later or we might have our lunch a couple of hours later than we normally do or have our breakfast a couple of later. And that can actually disrupt your circadian rhythm also. Um, so one of the recommendations would be try and maintain that. So the same That routine. regularity, yeah. yeah. I know it's difficult when you wanna when yeah. I mean, you've been working so hard during mm. the week and you wanna have a line, but actually that line could be more detrimental than uh, than positive actually. So It's I mean again it's 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 yeah. it's up to every individual you know whether that extra couple of hours is worth you sort of being off whack for the rest of the day and the weekend mm-hmm. and trying to get yourself back to a normal routine when you come back to Monday. Mm. Is it worth it? It's up to each individual person. Yeah. Yeah. It's difficult
0: as well, because obviously, especially if people are going out late and drinking alcohol, because alcohol mm. in itself, even if you do sleep, mm. actually Affects, don't get yes. the quality of sleep, yes. doesn't it? So it kind of knocks out your cortex, but you don't get that deep sleep that mm. actually is beneficial to, that's when all your reparations happen. and mm.
1: When you store memories and, exactly. and, and, and you process the events of the day, mm-hmm. which is why when, when you drink, you wake up the next day, things are a bit sort of foggy yeah. and crazy
0: you don't really remember any dreams that you had yeah. you were just like zonked and you you may have slept a long time but you still feel absolutely knackered yeah it's not good quality sleep no you feel you feel rubbish mm. yeah any other advice i've got i've got one one good one but yeah you, go on so sachin panda said that because actually we, we didn't speak about this so much not only is time restricted feeding you know it's good for your gut, apparently, too, because now it depends when you're doing your time restricted feeding, because mm. let's say you um, your eight hours is from like 2 p.m. to 10 p.m. Mm. That's kind of still out of whack with your circadian rhythm, because if you're eating at 10 p.m. at night and then going straight to sleep, mm. that's not optimal. Mm. So you have to think about, yes, it may be within eight hours, but kind of roughly within the right eight hours as well. It's mm. noteworthy to say. So as we wind down for bed, you know, our body starts prepping for sleep. So our melatonin will rise. Even your salivary glands will produce less saliva because Mm. it's thinking, well, we shouldn't be eating now Mm. because your gut uh, apparently repairs about 10% of itself. At night and sleep aids that. And if you think evolutionary wise, we wouldn't have eaten when it was dark because it was dangerous. Mm. Um, there was no light in order to, to prepare food or, or do anything like that. And he compared it to like a motorway. You don't repair a motorway with cars running on it. Mm. So, how can you repair your gut with food in it? It just can't. So, it actually can cause damage to the gut if you got loads of food. In there and I know I get like food hangovers. Now it's because like, I would eat a lot and like really late and I do just feel so much better if I haven't. But I'm like the worst for eating late at night and I know it's bad for me, mm. but I really feel the difference if I don't. So when you
1: don't eat late, when I don't eat late. Better?
0: It feels so much yeah. better, so much better. And even though I know how I feel, I don't know. Like I don't consistently eat late, but I regularly eat late and Oh god! Like the worst is when, like, I've eaten like a full blown three course curry at like eleven p.m. and then tried to sleep. I felt I couldn't sleep; just felt absolutely awful. You got the curry sweat, and just like you've got a bowling ball in your belly, Yeah. and you're trying. You just—it's not ah, sexy, ma'am. It's not sexy. Uh, it's not <laughs> sexy. So yeah, yeah, I
1: mean, I I would never. Well, I say I would never, but I have done that. um, massive meal and then oh. trying to sleep and yes it is the most uncomfortable awful. feeling yeah but yeah building on what you said about dr panda and sort of looking at when's the most optimal time to mm. do or have that restrictive phase or that window of when mm-hmm. you can't eat he recommended sort of not eating anything sort of two to three hours before you start to, you know going into mm. getting to bed yeah and um, to, to allow your body to you know, stop that, that processing of your, you know, mm. your digestive system and sending things to your liver and then that liver mm. sending all the nutrients out to your mm. body. That's a function that's going on. So if that's going on, your mm. body's sort of busy trying to do that rather than
0: mm-hmm.
1: trying to get you off to sleep. Yeah. But also mentioning, you know, when you're, when you're sleeping, that's when your body's repairing itself. Yeah. If you're putting food into your body late at night, your body's busy doing that yeah. rather than busy repairing itself. Yeah, that's a good um, point. When we feed during the day, The calories that we consume, it breaks down into glucose and that Mm. glucose is used as energy. It will store some of it as fat Mm -hmm. and then when we stop eating, our body goes into a fasting state and then that fat is metabolized Mm -hmm. and used as energy. Sorry, when we're not eating, we're sleeping. Mm -hmm. But if you put food into your body late at night, your body doesn't need to burn that fat because it's got the calories and the carbohydrates Mm. and the glucose from the food that you've just put into your body so Mm -hmm. it's going to use that. So it actually affects fat metabolism and your ability to burn fat as easily as if you'd sort of eaten late, um, earlier on and then sort of stopped. Yeah. Um. So yes, it it's sort of all interlinks. Yeah.
0: It makes sense. Mm. It make it makes sense logically. And there's something that they extrapolate and and they can't kind of prove this, but they think like the reason that we evolved this way as well is that your everything is like to do with light, and obviously they think that if you'd eaten late at night. Because our bodies haven't invo- evolved in line with our lifestyle, they think that it's likely something that shouldn't have gone into your body. Like your body is almost treating that piece of food, even though it's food, as something that shouldn't be as there. a foreign body. As a foreign body. Mm-hmm. Because... It's out of character for our body. Like, let's say 10,000 years ago and it was pitch black, we wouldn't have usually eaten that. So mm. it, it would have been like something crawled into our mouth, let's say uh, an animal or <coughs> an insect or something. So your body's going to try and it's going to treat it like a foreign body. Mm. It's not going to have a, like a, a good response. Mm. So in terms of like circadian rhythm, then like a few takeaways for people, can you bullet point three really quickly?
1: Try and have a regular meal pattern. I was trying to eat at similar times most days. Get out in natural light Mm -hmm. and physical activity. Those two things are very important. Even if you can't do it at the most optimal time, Mm. still do it. I know, again, it's difficult. We're in the winter months. You know, it's dark now. It was dark or fairly dark when I left my house in the morning. I've not been exposed to daylight. Mm -hmm. But try and do that. Mm -hmm. And try and establish a regular sleep. time going to bed at the same time and waking up at the same time these are things are gonna these very simple things are gonna help optimize your Mm -hmm. clock and hopefully optimize your health Mm -hmm. yeah and i've just noticed that particularly
0: because i suppose as well i'm more acutely aware because i became aware of this topic and this information, and then I'm doing things wrong. And then I was able to kind of link it to how I felt because I I had this awareness. So I can definitely vouch for that from a person who is doing it wrong, and occasionally does it right. So sleep is such a challenge for me. But thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And yes, that's episode four. You can follow me on Instagram at the pseudo intellect, or on Facebook. And you know, I do regular posts. So until the next time, Have a good day!